All right, so it seems like everything's working. So this is the Crosstown Shootout postgame spaces. Xavier has made it five in a row over the Cincinnati Bearcats. Almost hard to believe we're saying those words right now, given the situation we came into with this year's game. Xavier on a three-game home losing streak, having lost to two mid-major teams within the last few weeks. Cincinnati 7-0. They have a C Spandego. They got him eligible. Did you hear about that? And somehow the Musketeers still come out on top, score 84 points in this year's Crosstown Shootout. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take your guys' calls as long as you want to bring them. Uh, I've, I've got plenty of time. We'll get to each and every one of you that want to chime in and talk about this game. I think f- from my standpoint, the first thing that obviously stands out is Quincy Oliveri made his mark on this rivalry. What a performance by Quincy Oliveri. Xavier needed somebody to step up and needed somebody to be the leader and have the emotion and have that that fire in their eye and be the go-to guy tonight. And Quincy Oliveri had no issue with it. He was hitting big shot after big shot. He seemed to relish the opportunity. Thoroughly impressed with what I saw from Quincy Oliveri. That was the first thing that really jumped out to me about tonight's game is just what a performance he put on. But then after that, that's where I think this game gets interesting. I don't know that Xavier was all that impressive. I don't know that there were any, like the the narrative every year with UC fans, right? Is that somebody had an out of body experience and played above their level. Who are you pointing to in this case for Xavier that did that in tonight's game? I mean, Sasha Shani obviously had some great moments in this and, and maybe the funniest moment when he had the uh, the pickpocket of Jizzle James late in the game. But it, it wasn't like he played out of his mind. He had seven points and six rebounds. So I'm not sure you could point to any guy on Xavier's team. Maybe Davion McKnight is that guy. Davion McKnight scoring 20 points, certainly better than he's been playing. But we talked about this before the game. If you watched the video breakdown that I did with Trey Scotty, The way that Cincinnati defends, being that they want to play one-on-one, they want to give up a lot of mid-range jumpers, tough twos as they call them, and they want to recover to shooters, set up for a game where Davion McKnight was going to have his chances. He's a guy who likes to play in the mid-range. That's where he scores most of his points. That's where he did so well at Western Kentucky a year ago. And so you kind of knew coming in, if that's the way Cincinnati was going to play them, that he might at least be more aggressive. Now, you didn't know he was going to score 20 points necessarily and get to the free throw line and go eight for eight. But seeing him take, you know, 10 to 15 shots in this game, I think was always a part of the plan when you saw the way that UC was going to be defending Xavier. So uh, maybe that's the guy that you point to and say he played really well. But I think you factor that in with Desmond Claude going five for 15 and only having 11 points. And in some ways, UC got off a little bit easy with the way that Xavier's backcourt played in this game. So I'm curious to hear what you guys think. I mean, th- those were those were kind of my main takeaways when I saw that. Is just with the way UC plays defense, so many of Xavier's baskets came easy in this game, aside from the ones Quincy Oliveri hit. So many of them were driving, getting downhill, getting into the paint, and then kind of either using a pump fake and a pivot, or just leaning in and leaning into contact and shooting over a defender. That's how Xavier scored a lot of their points in this game, and to see this Xavier team score 84 points in a rivalry game against the defense that was like top 30 in the country and, and was supposed to be very good. That stood out to me. I was impressed with that. I I just like that number, the 84 points, it it was a little bit surprising to be quite honest. All right. So let's go to the Dalen fan, Dalen Swain fan club on here with uh, our second call of the night. We've already talked to Jerome Hunter fan club. We'll go to the Dalen Swain fan club. And if you want to get in, We'll take your calls as well. Be sure to request them here. All right, Dale and Swain fan club, you're in. How's it going, Rick? Doing well. How are you? Doing well. Yeah, I was pretty nervous coming in this one, obviously, given how the past few games have gone. Um, but to your point about how UC fans have been saying, you know, always there's someone that goes off. I understand it to an extent. With Quincy, he was hitting some very contested shots. Um, so I could see that. And then with, with McKnight, I thought he had probably his best game as a musketeer. 
with the exception of those really the only flaw in his game tonight was those two brick threes. Other than that, he was damn near perfect. Toxic Chani as well. Um, I expected a lot more from Aziz. Uh, I know Watkins picked it up in the second half, but you know, going going into halftime, I, I had made a tweet. You know, I was very surprised that it was not Usman who was in foul trouble, but uh, Aziz and and Lockin. So that was a big shock for me. I think that if Lockin had had a strong first half, this might be a different game. But I, I think we really got into his head. You know, he had that scuffle with with Abu in, in the early in the first half, and I'm just not yeah. sure he was ready to get punched in the mouth like that um, by by the home court advantage in the team. So overall, very happy with it, obviously. Um, you know, couldn't have asked for, for a better showing. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on the Victor Locken thing. I was pretty disappointed with his play overall, considering how well he's been playing coming into this game and how much the UC side of things was hyping him up. I mean, he ends up with 17 points. He was 8 of 17 from the field, so not really efficient on the offensive end. And the other thing was defensively. I mean, there was that play late in the game where he jumps. Kitas Namiksha didn't even really pump fake a three. He kind of just sort of looked at the rim for a second at the top of the key. And Victor Locken jumps, leaves his feet, and Kitas goes right around him for an easy basket late in the game at a key moment. It's like you're supposed to be your team's best player and you're making mistakes like that from a defensive standpoint. I, to me, that was that was pretty poor. And then, like you said, Aziz Spandego, he goes for three points in this game, only takes two shots. Now, granted, he did have 10 rebounds. He had the uh, the couple blocks late in the game and, and definitely changed some other shots around the rim late in this game. But I thought overall his impact was pretty minimal in this game. Yeah, I, I agree. I think coming into this, he was averaging, what, about 15 points a game? Granted, he's only been back for a few games now, but I was very shocked that we were able to shut him down offensively the way that we did um and you honestly i know there was a lot of talk about the offensive rebounding disparity a lot of those offensive boards they they took just crazy bounces off the rim and, and you know shot back out uh, you know down near the free throw line so i don't know that i would really say that that was you know, a problem for us tonight i think when you've got two basically seven footers you're going to get those boards but i think that Abu, Gidis, Lazar, Sasha, they all held their own very well tonight against a front court that I expected to uh, cause a lot more problems than they did. Yeah, I mean, end of the day, you go uh, 14 second chance points for Cincinnati, 13 for Xavier. So, yeah, they ended, they had more offensive rebounds, and yes, they had more points in the paint, but overall, those second chance points aren't what killed Xavier um, in this. Obviously it didn't kill him. They won the game, but um, I didn't think it was like an, an egregious thing in this game. Now it's something that's a concern for Xavier overall this season. Like rebounding is going to be concerned. I think every game and, and interior toughness is going to be concerned every game, but they held their own enough in this one. And I thought Sasha was honestly just hilarious. I mean, the, even the, the, and one he had early in the first half where it was a tough shot the the pickpocket of Jizzle late in the game, the, Sasha was great. Um, there there was also the the Abu tie up early in the game with Victor Lockin that you referenced, where it's the first jump ball of the game and neither one of them will let go, and then they're like going forehead to forehead. That was that was just a fantastic shootout moment. It was all tonight's game was great because it was all harmless stuff. Nothing ever escalated, but there were like three or four just very funny moments throughout this game. So it was a very I, I have to imagine from a Xavier fan perspective, this was one of the most enjoyable shootouts to watch. This was a good one. And my girlfriend's a UC grad, so it was a, a tense household tonight. Um but that's all for me. Uh Quincy Oliver's got more shootout wins than UC combined, so it's a good night. All right, Dalen Swain Fan Club, appreciate you. Thanks for checking in. We're going to bring in Xavier Nation next, and uh, you could be after Xavier Nation. We uh, have all open lines after that, so be sure to request in. Xavier Nation here. What's going on? I mean, great win tonight. Hard to not, not be excited about that. I, I think that the Bearcats continue to show that they are just cowards. When it comes to coming to send the Centos Center and playing that game, I mean, I know we were chucking batteries all night, but I didn't see that many on the floor, so <laughs> they must have survived them. How, but 
Can somebody tell me, because I was not there, can somebody tell me how many rubber penises made it onto the well, floor tonight? Well, so what I was thinking, Rick, was that we were throwing our dildos and we didn't have the back end sealed on the dildos and the batteries fell out of them. And that's how are they getting batteries and dildos. So I don't really know. Honestly, you might have just cracked something right there because I was so flummoxed by this whole battery thing and where it started where it came from. It's like a Bearcat Journal urban myth or something. It's been talked about on there for years. No one knows what the hell they're talking about. Randomly, we get the rubber dildos thing from uh, Bob Huggins this summer. Everything's coming together. I think you might be right. Maybe that's where the original batteries, battery story started. It was with the dildos. Xavier failed to have their Phillips screwdrivers on hand to tighten up the back end of the dildos and the batteries fell out and that's that's exactly what happened i mean covid has ruined everything it really has rick it's a goddamn shame you just bring screwdrivers everywhere i mean trey's never going to appreciate a pre-covid world but at the same time i mean what a night every xavier fans just got to be on cloud nine i mean all week we get talked about how they're going to win this game this is their shootout to win they're going to come here and get this chad brendel you know, obviously talking about on Twitter, like hours for the game, it doesn't matter if they win or lose. Oh, it definitely does. This is their year to win it. And they didn't. What a shame. What, what, what a God darn shame that they didn't come into Centos and win this game. They just look soft. I mean, Aziz Mandago, Victor Lockin, supposed to be Shaquille O'Neal and Robert Horry, supposed to be the best front line in the in, in all the country. They didn't look very good. We just came in here, took care of business, won the shootout once again. We're just continuing to show you see that they don't think this game matters, but their fans really care, and we just keep winning the game. And that's about all I have to say. I'm a little drunk, not going to lie, but we took care of business, and they looked pathetic once again. All right. Well, I appreciate it. I don't think you're the only one who's a little bit drunk, uh, so keep the drinks flowing. And uh, if you're looking to get in, call in with your thoughts on the game. You want to ask questions. You want to talk about any standouts from the game? You want to talk about what's going on with the Bearcats and when they will ever win another game inside the Centaur Center? I mean, truly, who is going to be president the next time that UC wins a game in the Centaur Center? We've been through four presidencies now, and they have not found a way to get it done inside the Centaur Center. So we've got all those things out there. We've got nothing but open lines for you guys. If you want to talk shootout, let's do it. We'll go to Dr. Rock right now to get things going. The good doctor, what do you got for me? Oh, my God. I'm so hard. It's like unbelievable. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I'm going to have to go to the hospital. I'm about to call 911, but it's going to have to make this quick. Number one, the Europeans are starting to figure out what's going on. Number two, the transfers are starting to be exactly what we thought they would be. Number three, Swain can play some D. And number four, Trey Green's going to get there. You know, that was not the game for him to be the star. But, oh, my God, was that too much fun. You know what? After years of following basketball, I'm convinced of one thing. It's much more fun to win. That's all I got to say. I love Xavier basketball. Centos was the loudest in the history of mankind. Yeah, what did you think of the atmosphere tonight, Doc? Oh, it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. I mean, it was loud. It was continuous. It was, uh, it was just. I mean, after the game, man, in the halls was fun. You know, the kid, the kids were just have. It was orgasmic for the kids. I mean, I can get hard, but they can have orgasms. You know, what can I see? Yeah, the, nothing better than a little jizzle, James, on a night like tonight. You know what I'm saying? The t- I, well, I know this is gonna shock you. But I came home and watched the game on TV after I uh, got up. I did the same. Yeah, And, boy, th- those announcers were in love with Jizzle, weren't they? Well, in fairness. Yeah. I mean, look, look since, we're, since we're here, we do have to talk about it. Like, a big storyline in that recruiting class was UC deciding to pass on Trey Green, him ending up at Xavier, 
and then them ending up with Jizzle James. The first battle between those guys, you got to give it to him. Jizzle James was super impressive. Like he was really good in the first half of this one. He finished with 19 points with seven of 13 from the field, two of three from beyond the arc. Uh, safe to say he just kind of had, you know, like we talk about his dad being Edgar and James and all that stuff, but the professional pedigree, the lights, not the bright lights, not being too big for him. You saw that all tonight. He, he has all that stuff. Yeah. He, he, Hey, I got to share something with you. You'll love this. I my, can't wait. Son, my, my son made an $18 bet. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what, what do they call it? A parley when you got to get off. He bet on five things. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five things. Okay. He hit all five and won $415. And, and I, I must, I humbly, I have to tell you, I guided him on what to say and what, what to pick. And what, what was it all Xavier stuff or was it a no, bunch of different no, games? No, it was mixed. It was mixed. It was, uh, and, and, and the, 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 the thing that ended it that was really cool was Day Day Thomas was supposed to go over 10.5 and he was right under it, missed like a free throw or something, then missed a shot. Then remember he bounced that three in and that put my son into the $415. <laughs> prize but he had um uh lakeham over 14 he had the money line uh he had quincy Oliveri over i'm sorry what was the first thing he had uh day day thomas oh okay and then uh victor what was it was victor's last name uh this victor lakin guy you know nailed it yep and then uh the money line uh, and he had Quincy, and he had the over 4.5. All right, thanks, Doc. All right, Pauly, you were there. I'm here. You, you were throwing balls around? I'm here. I was throwing balls around. I was having a great time. I was having the time of my life, and I didn't have a heart attack. Hey, you were on 700 Yeah, that turned out uh, – I thought that turned out pretty well. I mean, it was funny trying to trying to get that on, but, yeah, no, it turned out well, and uh, – Look, I mean, I, I just wanted to hop on real quick. I know there's probably a lot of background noise. I'm, uh, I'm out downtown right now, but I wanted to step away real quick just because I thought there were a couple of points. I haven't been able to listen to this too much, so I don't know what you guys have already talked about. But I thought, I thought a couple of points from the post-game press conference. One was Sean talking about a players-only meeting. Uh, it sounded like it was a players-only meeting. Sean and, uh, and, and Quincy talked about it um, that they, they had the other day. And, uh, you know, Sean mentioned that sometimes meetings like that can go really well and sometimes they can go poorly. And, uh, you know, obviously Quincy, you know, he mentioned like, look, somebody had to step up, somebody had to be a leader and, and we had to identify, you know, wh- what are these problems? Who's going to lead these, these European players? Who's going to lead these freshmen? Who's going to tell them about what they need to be doing? How are we going to grow closer as a team? I thought it was a really valuable press conference tonight. Um, you know, if, if you have a chance to go and listen to the players one, it's really to both, but especially Quincy and what he said after the game, I, I thought it was really interesting. I thought it was the, that the, the Quincy three um, off of the, I think it was a turnover. It might have been a missed shot. Effectively, it was a turnover. Um, the heat check three that he hit was the loudest, in my opinion, that Cintas has been since JP hit that three against Villanova back in 2016. I mean, look, the crowd brought it tonight. Everybody responded in a big way, um, and and I, I think the last point I would say is, you know, you and I both picked Cincinnati to win on the Musketeer Report podcast the other day, and then we were sitting at practice yesterday, and um, I don't know if it was to you or, or Adam or who it was, but I thought they had one of their best practices of the year, and I looked over to Adam and I said, yeah, they're winning tomorrow. There's no doubt in my mind. It's just the, the guys were locked in. Quincy came up to me and he goes, "Hey, man, I'm I'm ready for tomorrow." And it's just it, there was a look in there was a look in their eye that I hadn't seen up to that point, um, and uh, you could tell that you know whether this is a turning point for the rest of the season or whether this is the the peak of the season, you don't know. You, you got to play it out. But I thought yesterday's practice and then carrying that into today because they had a great practice in Las Vegas too the day before uh, they played Washington, and that game didn't go so well. So I was curious to see how it would translate. It translated in a huge way, and uh, that's my biggest takeaway from the game. Paul, 
give us the tease that everyone's waiting for. You? Well, hold on. I think I think we're getting a little feedback. Doc, that, I don't know if that's your mic or my mic. Rick, Rick go ahead. I, I got you. Okay. You did a podcast after You there? You got me? Yes. Yeah, now I got you. Now I got you. What I was telling the people, and they've heard me say three times now, is that you did a podcast. Yes. Yeah, after, right after the game. Yeah, it was incredible. Um, so it'll drop on Monday. Um, he talked all about – he talked. He elaborated on that meeting that I was just talking about, which is part of the reason that I wanted to talk about it a little bit. Um, you know, he elaborated on that. He talked about how much this game means to him, how much it means to the team, how much it means to the city. It was incredible. He we, it was about a half hour. Um, it was – it was very good. It was, you know, obviously appreciative of his time to want to go and do this. And, uh, you know, we, it was kind of funny. We asked him after we said, Sean, is there any more basketball in the plans for the night? And, uh, you know, are you going home? What's the adrenaline like? He goes, you know what, fellas, I think I'm going to go home and have a nice glass of bourbon and take my mind off of things for the night. And we said, you know what, coach, I think you deserve that. So yeah, it was a great show. It'll drop on Monday. Uh, we have three shows banked for the next few weeks. We have a ton of we we have what I think even even beyond this show for Monday is is one that um, will come out the following Monday that'll probably be one of one of my favorite shows that we do all year. We've already recorded. Um, so it, you know business is booming. It was a great night tonight, and uh, yeah, Rick, that's that's about all. All right, I think we lost. No, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. If you're here, I was oh. getting a phone call. My bad. Uh, all good. Paul, I'll let you go because I, I know you're out, but we appreciate you. Yeah, talking. thanks, Rick. Appreciate it. I'll talk to you all soon. Uh, we've got Timmy checking in here. Timmy, Xavier wins its fifth straight Crosstown shootout. What do you got for me? Hey, Rick. Uh, can you hear me? I got you. All right. Um, I had a question for you regarding the uh, Sasha and Lazar. Um, obviously, we haven't seen Lazar um, at full strength or, you know, from all the preseasons and sort of incredible projections that people were having for him. But given what we've seen so far, um, I really love the ceiling for Sasha. It feels like it's much higher than I expected. And I'm wondering if you're, you know, we had really high expectations for Lazar, but I'm wondering if we should, should have higher expectations for Sasha after, you know, these 10 games that we've had. Yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly where everyone else set their expectations for both of those guys. Because um, if you're on the Musketeer Report message board, it's been something that I've been kind of like battling since the offseason when you had national guys showing up to practice, not having watched him at all, and then talking about how great he was going to be and how he was going to be a starter and everything else. And like, quite honestly, that just didn't add up with what we were seeing in practice. Like, Gidas was clearly the more consistent guy, clearly the more ready guy. Not to say that Lazar wasn't going to get his chance to start because clearly the, the staff was going to start him before he broke his finger. But I think it was always obvious that he wasn't going to be ready to be a, a go-to or impact type of player right away. Um, now, that being said, I still think he has a huge upside and I think his ceiling is really high. With Sasha, it was a little bit different because my, when he first arrived, my projection for him was pretty low. I just didn't think physically he moved very well at all. He didn't seem like he understood what was going on very much at all. And uh, it just wasn't very good the first few weeks there that, that we watched in practice. So I definitely had much lower expectations for him. And I would tell you that they've definitely changed. Now, where is he going to be in a couple of years? I don't know. Uh, I mean, like, I really have no idea how, how good he can be. But I do think he can be a Big East-level big man now. And when he first arrived, I didn't know that that was the case. So Lazar, I still think the world of, in terms of his long-term prospects, it's just going to take some time. And then Sasha, I would say, it's definitely changed. And he's gone from a guy that I wasn't sure had much of a chance to a guy that I think could potentially be pretty good in the Big East. I just never would have thought that he would be capable of picking the pocket of Jizzle James like he did tonight. <laughs> That like, was hilarious. And the that fact that he so tried funny. to do it again on the very next possession was laugh out loud. Yeah. I absolutely busted out laughing at that. Like, what is this guy doing? Hey, it worked once. Why not give it another try? Uh, yeah, and, the, and then it 
worked a second time. That's the crazy thing. He almost pulled it off. I mean, that's yeah. just fantastic theater. Uh, anyway, yeah, no, I'm just very uh, enamored with Sasha, and I'm very excited to see what happens with him the rest of the season. But uh, that's all I got. Thanks, yeah, it's great that Sasha's plays were so loud, too. Like, that that <laughs> and one he had in the first half was just such a ridiculous shot. It's like, how the hell did that go in? Uh, like, he how is some- he moving the way he's moving? I just don't understand it. Like, I like the first game that he, like, he was barely able to, like, walk out there, it seemed like. And now he's, like, hitting step-back floaters off the glass. Like, his first three days at practice, he looked like the slowest human I've ever seen in my life. I don't know what happened, but like his entire gait has changed since he arrived at Xavier. Like uh, Andy Kettler might be the best strength and conditioning coach in the world. And maybe, I don't know. I I don't know what's going on, but he definitely looks like a different human than he did his first couple of days on campus. Did like he make a fucking deal with the devil or something? I don't like, I I don't know. Um, Somebody. Yeah, whatever. Happy, happy for it. It, It's really lovely to watch. Um, Yeah. Anyway, cool. Uh, yeah, thanks for answering. See it. Bye, Rick. Thanks, Timmy. All right. I've got open lines if you want to get in, talk about this game, talk about Xavier, talk about what's next. That's the one thing that, and, and I understand, we're like right now everyone's just enjoying a Crosstown shootout win and the fifth straight win over Cincinnati, and you can worry about what this team is or isn't you know, over the next few months as we go forward. But this definitely has to raise some more questions and make this team even harder to figure out than they've already been after what we've seen over the last few weeks. I mean, you think about the performance against Purdue and the performance against Houston. If you want to throw St. Mary's in there, we can do that too. Although St. Mary's is such a disaster right now. I, you know, I don't know exactly where you have that game, but then you factor in the Delaware game and the Oakland game. And now we have the Cincinnati game where I don't think Xavier was great tonight, but I think they were good enough and certainly good enough to be competitive going into the Big East. So where do you come out on this team after all of those games that I just mentioned? It To me, it's really confusing, and I, I just don't know exactly how I feel about this team right now, to be quite honest. All right, we're going to go to a Crosstown shootout legend right now. Kenny Freeze has joined us, and much like you know his former coach, Sean Miller, he has become a master content creator and podcaster now since his playing days. Kenny, what's going on, man? Unmute yourself. Not too much, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. I, w- I was just listening. I wasn't. I wasn't going to get on and talk, but just kind of what the, the point you just brought up was interesting to me. Like, where do you go from here? And I think that it's. I think that it's funny that we we've all been kind of talking about it. Like, you know where. Where's the point guard play? Where's the leadership? Um, you know, the big guys, all these different things that it's tough to kind of put your finger on what's wrong with the team at sometimes. And it's sometimes, and it's tough to put your finger on what the team does really well. It's sometimes other than, you know, obviously Quincinnati, uh, Quincy old Barry, but um, it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because I really liked seeing McKnight, take on kind of that point guard spot tonight. And I think that's something that is going to be useful for Xavier in the future. Yeah. My question about that, Kenny is Cincinnati with the way they defend and they don't really play a lot of help defense, right? They're staying attached to shooters. They're letting you drive one-on-one and they want you to score in the mid range. Essentially that fits exactly what Davion does well. That's what he did well at Western Kentucky when he averaged 18 points a game was get into the mid-range, shoot floaters, runners, leaners, use his big bowling ball body. And that's what he was able to do tonight successfully. I guess my concern is if you go up against a coach who has any type of scheme going or you go up against a team that maybe doesn't play that style of defense, have we already seen what Quincy is capable of in previous games? Or is tonight a game that maybe gets him going, and this is what we can expect a little bit more of going forward? That That's where I'm kind of concerned about him and what I'm thinking about after I see him score 20 points tonight. He's like, was that matchup specific to how Cincinnati played, or is that something he can repeat? I think... I think that... I mean, that's a good question. I think that the, I think the answer to that kind of lies in what can the rest of the team bring? You know what I mean? Like how much can they force them to not play that defense where they're able to stick to shooters 
who can who can create and i so i get i get your point that makes sense um because we need to have somebody off of off of him off the ball that's going to be not i shouldn't say off the ball away from him that's going to be able to make plays and create a threat that's going to be able to make him put himself in those positions again um so i guess that 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 really is the question moving forward who who do we have that can do that yeah and you know the one thing tonight is Going into this game, I'm looking at them and I say, okay, they got John Newman who can be a lockdown stopper on the wing, yeah. but they don't have two John Newmans. And you've yeah. got Desmond Claude and Quincy Oliveri. And so, you know, Desmond only has 11 points. He takes 15 shots in this game, only has 11 points. And maybe you say he didn't play a great game. Well, maybe that's the case, but he also was taking up their best defender and requiring all that attention from John Newman, which allowed Quincy Oliveri to be guarded by different guys at times, but quite often in the second half, it was CJ Frederick and CJ Frederick right now isn't a very good defender. I don't think so. I I think that's part, partly something that I'm looking at as a Xavier fan too, saying if you can get both of these guys going with a little consistency, Desmond and Quincy, both, there aren't a lot of teams that have two great wing defenders that are going to be able to slow them both down in the same night. Yeah, I agree. And I think, but I mean, going back to what I was saying before about McKnight kind of taking over a little bit of that point guard role. I think that that was, that's something that Xavier really hasn't had because Desmond Claude's been playing a lot of the, that point guard, bring the ball up, get the offense going role throughout the season. And I don't think that that's really something that he's comfortable with or something that he even wants to do. So the fact that and we were talking about it on the stream tonight, I don't know. I mean, how much is, I don't know. It's hard as an outsider, somebody that's not going through it to know what McKnight's going through with, you know, losing a family member and, and all sure. that stuff. So how much is that actually affecting the way that he plays? Because tonight he looked like a completely different player than he has the rest of the year. And not, not just because he was scoring, because he obviously had some big buckets, huge three at the end of the game. But how much is that affecting just men- mentally how much he's able to give to basketball right now? So, and I, I'm just hoping that moving forward, that's the McKnight that we're going to see that's able that's willing to take those shots and you know play defense and do the things that the team needs them to do to win because i really think that's a big part that's missing and you know outside of him really in the point guard spot you're looking at trey green and you're looking at desmond claude and i don't think desmond claude's a point guard and trey green is just a young guy and i don't i think that he's got ability and talent and can could be a really good player for Xavier, but he's just not there yet because he doesn't have the experience. So having a guy like McKnight that can step into that role uh, night in and night out is something that would be really, really helpful to to Xavier, especially going into the Big East when you're just – it's a slog every, every single game. You, there's no easy games. No question. And one thing that jumps out to me about those two guys, McKnight and Claude, the two guys were doing most of the ball handling night because Trey Green only played a few minutes there. Right. Those those guys combined to go 10 assists, two turnovers in this game. Yeah. Xavier only had eight turnovers as a team, and four of them were Lazar Djokovic, a forward. So when you think about all their ball handlers and the guys that were doing most of the, the perimeter actions, they took great care of the ball against a team that pressures you on the perimeter, wants to deny, wants to uh, ice ball screens, wants to blow up your, your flow game. They really did a great job of executing against that and being strong with the ball. And that's something that, to this point of the season, I don't know how many times you could have said that about the Xavier team. No, you could. I mean, there was there's multiple games where you were having double-digit turnovers from the guard spot, and that was something that was a an obvious problem for the team. The one thing I will say, though, as far as icing ball screens is concerned, like the one thing that was frustrating me tonight about that defensive scheme and what Xavier was doing with it was they were just letting them do it. They were waiting for them to ice the ball screen, and they weren't trying to attack it the other way off the ball. I don't know if you, I don't know if you saw that at all. Like, I guess it's something that I was just looking for because once I see somebody start icing ball screens, I know how hard it is to ice a ball screen as a big guy. I mean, it's easier as long as my guard can stop the guy from going middle. But if he can, if that guard can get middle, it is an absolutely impossible way to play defense. And it sometimes it seemed like our guards were just waiting for the screen to come, waiting for their defense, waiting for their defender to cut off the inside and then kind of just playing off of it, which it, 
it seemed like there were some more opportunities there to take advantage of those iced ball screens. And, you know, it's, there's a lot of different ways to take advantage of iced ball screens. Um, but that was something that kind of frustrated me a little bit tonight. And I think that that comes with, you know, especially when with Claude and green and obviously being night has more experience, but Claude and green, I mean, they just don't have a ton of experience of, you know, seeing multiple defenses and all the different looks and how they're supposed to, to attack them. So I think that that's something that we can, we'll definitely see some improvement over the, over the year in those areas. Yeah. And I think that's the case just in general with Xavier's flow offense, that it's something that builds as the year goes, because it's designed to be, random and it's a lot of if then stuff right so like uh, we're gonna do this action and depending on how the defense responds then we can do this or that or whatever um and so you see those things and you see these patterns and your recognition gets better as the course of the year goes on so like you're talking about some of these different ways teams might defend the screens some of those younger players and even desmond claude is still a really young player they're going to get better at recognizing okay that's what they're doing this is the way to beat that or or, i'll recognize it sooner next time so they won't have the chance to get in position i think that's a really good point it's probably something we don't talk about enough is how this this stuff does build on itself and they do continue to get better at it. Kenny, there was something else I, I really wanted to ask you about because Paul brought up a few times a players-only meeting that the yeah. team had um, prior to this game. Obviously, you're coming mm-hmm. off a three-game losing streak. You've lost three home games. Two of them were to mid-major teams. I think team meetings can... Uh, it's a dangerous thing because I think you can end up running the risk, especially in a case like this year's team where... I don't think they're super close yet because they're just all new. Like they don't, they don't all know each other that well. And I don't think there was necessarily a strong leader going into the year or not one hadn't developed to this point. I think you can really run the risk of calling this meeting and someone starts yelling and looks pretty corny. And then at that point, it's like, no one wants to step up and be the leader the rest of the year because it's like, well, that guy did it and he looked silly and we still stunk and we got blown out by UC. I think my guess based on what Paul had said, and, and we'll find more out on the Sean Miller podcast probably Monday because he said there were some details there, is that Quincy Oliveri led a lot of this. And uh, in my opinion, if you're going to be a guy who calls a team meeting or you're going to be the guy who speaks up in a team meeting, you sure as hell be the, better be the best player on the floor the next game. And Quincy was that tonight. He had 27 points. What are, what are your thoughts on that whole dynamic of the calling a team meeting thing and like how that can go? You know, it's this is actually a – not not obviously to this level because they're not the same level of players, but I I do some work with our high school basketball program, um, not just high school, but all the way down. I, I actually run the youth program, and I work with a little bit with the 7th and 8th grade, and I've had some conversations with them. And the, we had a kid kind of scream at another player or, or, or call another player out for something they did wrong. And – my point to him was kind of what you're saying, but I guess a little bit different because I don't think you necessarily need to be the best player on the court. You just need to be the person that's willing to work the hardest and, you know, strive for perfection the most or be, you know, quote unquote, the most perfect. Um, So that was my point to them was like, if you're going to be the person that's calling somebody out, you need to make sure that you've already earned the respect of your teammates. It's not about, or, I guess maybe not earn the respect already, but at least be willing to earn the respect of your teammates in the future. Um, So you're right. It can definitely go wrong. I mean, I, when we were, after we lost in uh, Hawaii, my senior year, after all the guys got suspended after the fight and all that stuff happened, we had a players only meeting in a hotel. Right. And it was just, we had just lost a really bad game. Um, I don't remember who it was to, but it was, you know, they were really, really low, a really low ranked team. And it was just bad. And we all kind of got together. And I mean, I don't think it takes any, any bit of real basketball knowledge to know who ran that meeting. It was two, you know what I mean? Like two's the guy that stepped up, ran that meeting, kind of went through every single guy. We all had something to say and made that meeting productive. And obviously we were able to turn that meeting into something good for the team in general. But I think you're right. There's definitely a, a chance for it to go off the rails and just everybody lose respect for each other. And 
um, all of that. But I definitely you can see and you could see in the interview that Oliveri had after last game talking about needing a leader and the way he came out and played tonight. And I think you saw it with Abu too, just like that first that first rebound where he got into a fight with that guy trying to rip the ball out of his hands. Um, just those little things, showing people that you're able to work, that you want to work hard, that you're trying to get better, you're doing everything you can to make the team in general better. That's how you make those team meetings work or those players-only meetings work is making sure that everybody that you're bought in more than anybody else. Yeah, I just – I've seen it happen before where, you know, you, the, the rah-rah guy can easily be made to – be the uh, this loser you know like this cornball no one wants to follow that guy if you're doing it and you're going you know one for six tonight i think that's a terrible look but like i'm just so impressed with quincy because it seemed like he was kind of behind all of that he was the one who put his name on it last week in the post-game press conference and said we're a leaderless team which quite honestly a lot of people are going to hear a fifth year player say that and go well can't you be the leader like you're the guy out here why are you saying that why don't you step up and he did he went yeah. out there. He said, this is the issue with our team. I, I believe he's probably the one who called that meeting. I don't know for sure, but I'm sure he was one of the voices who spoke up. And then he went out there and he played the best game of maybe his career, certainly his career at Xavier, and scored 27 points and hit big shot after big shot. To me, that is like the epitome of a leader when you're looking for someone to dig you out of moments like this. Oh, yeah, for sure. And especially to have to do it before this game that means so much to so many people. Um, you know, I feel like it probably not that I know anything about the way the guys were thinking about this game, but it probably means a lot more to Coach Miller, Dante, BJ, the fans, than a lot of guys that were sitting on that bench just because they haven't played in it before. I mean, we have 10 guys that haven't played in the Crosstown shootout before. The fact that we were able to come out and have that energy and really just you can tell that the guys understood what it was. Um, from the beginning. And I think that's a testament to Coach Miller, Dante, and BJ, who have been a part of this game multiple times, coaching and playing. Um, it's just, I was really impressed with the way they played tonight. They came out and they were ready to play from the very first minute. And I, that's the one thing that I was really nervous about is that UC had guys that the game really mattered to because they had lost the game multiple times, now five years in a row. Um, and Xavier didn't. Xavier just had guys that were coming in and playing another game kind of, you know, I don't know that, that, that part of it was a, was a question mark to me. And I was nervous about it. I I said the same thing before the game. It's like, you can tell these guys all you want about what they're about to experience, but how is a guy from, you know, Lithuania or, you know, a guy like I asked even Davion McKnight, who was the closest out of any of the the newcomers to this rivalry because he played at Western Kentucky. It's like, have you watched the game before? What's your experience with it? He's like, no, I've never even seen him play. So it's like, how do you explain to those guys what they're about to be in store for? I'm incredibly impressed with the way they seem to be ready for the atmosphere. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you from experience uh, just with the TBT this summer, um, I mean, they had a, they had a hype video. I mean, obviously Xavier lost that game or should I say zip them up lost that game. Um, they had a hype video in the locker room with all the the old players, the guys that had been on the team before, with all the different games they'd played in. I mean, this game means a lot to the players. And, I, I mean, anybody that says that it doesn't, they're either lying or they don't have a pulse. I don't know. Um, so it's just uh, – I'm so excited they won tonight. I, I've been I was talking – I was talking a lot of crap on Twitter this week, so I'm, gra- I'm really glad that they won. Have you heard from any of your uh, your former teammates? After this one, uh, uh, Keith had a not my former teammates, but Keith Jackson had a little like watch party that, that, that they were putting together somewhere around the city. I can't remember where it was, and they were all texting in the group talking about how excited they were. And just you know, everybody, this game means a lot, it means a lot from the moment you walk on campus. And uh, I'm just, I'm just, I couldn't be more excited about how well the players tonight, especially the new guys, not to say that Des didn't handle it well because he needs to. He's already been a part of it before. But just how well the new guys were able to handle it, just coming in kind of brand new to it. No question. Well, Kenny, you got anything else before we uh, part ways here? Uh, no, I think I'm good. I'm just I'm, – I can't wait to get down to a game and see everybody and 
I'm really happy they won tonight. Pumped that there's still I mean, I don't know how many people you got watching here, but it looks like a like a lot. It's awesome to see all these people at twelve thirty at night listening to a Xavier podcast, man. It's just it really makes me happy. Yeah. Well, Kenny, uh, it's it's been fun talking to you tonight. I also really enjoy the stuff you're doing with the Roll Blob boys. I think they are hilarious and you've been a great addition to them to add a, a totally different perspective and like some real basketball talk to mix in with Coop and Andy and, and Cap's nonsense. So uh, I really, really enjoy the stuff you guys are doing. Keep up the great work and I'll, uh, I'll continue to follow you there. All right, man. I appreciate you. Thanks, Kenny. Have a good one. I just can't get over the idea of how good it must feel for a guy like Kenny, like someone who just has such a history with this game. And uh, like he said, it means so much to the players and to have this Xavier team that looked dead in the water a couple of days ago, come out and play the way they did in this crosstown shootout for guys like him. This just must be such a satisfying game to have watched. All right, Doug Tift. What do you got, Doug? Hey, what's up, Rick? How are you? Good. A couple things for you. Um, So one, just maybe like a a big picture idea. So uh, I realized the the Big 12 schedule is 18 games. The Big East schedule is 20 games. But if you were to sit here today and uh, project who – ends their conference season with a higher winning percentage between the two teams, Xavier and, and UC, who would you pick? Oh, damn it. Oh, man. <laughs> why, do, why do you do something? <laughs> first, here's the, here's the issue. I, first of all, I have to do the public math to figure out how many, how many uh, games. This well, week. okay. Well, easier question. Who, who wins more games, I guess? Raw numbers. Man, I'm. I know this sounds like taking the easy way out, but I I kind of feel like they both might be around 500 in conference play. Yeah, I'm gonna same gonna, spot. I think. I, I'm gonna say. I, I mean, I'm I'm coming up with nine wins for both of them. If I'm if I'm being honest, like if because UC only has the 18 games, so if they're at 500, they're at nine wins. I think Xavier could you know potentially be a game under that. I, I'll 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 go. UC has one more win than Xavier does in conference play. Yeah, that's fair. Um, all right. Second thing for you is uh, so I think ten days ago, you look at the Xavier Post situation and uh, pretty dire straits, or however many days coming out of the Oakland game, kind of dire straits. A, a little bit of a rosier picture coming out of tonight. But if you are Sean Miller and the staff, and you're looking ahead at Joel Soriano coming up in a couple of weeks and then Eric Dixon and Donovan Klingon and all of that coming up. Um, how do you feel after what Usman gave you and some of the other guys gave you in the post tonight as you, as you look ahead at that? I think we have to acknowledge this performance and the Houston game, certainly. And that would give me more hope at the same time. When I watched this game, Doug, the overwhelming feeling I kept getting is quit telling me Victor Locken is a big time high major player. Like that's where I came out more often than not is just like, I don't know that Victor Locken is that good. Um, And so I like, I'd like to say, I think Xavier's big men played really well and they're going to be okay going forward. But I'm not sure if you see tested them in the same way that Delaware and Oakland did in the front court. So I would still have some concerns. I mean, it, it was clear that uh, that Wes Miller had told Odio Guama anytime Guidas was guarding him to go try to dunk on him because that was the first two times I've ever seen Odio Guama drive aggressively to the basket in a game before, and he actually did dunk the one time. So, uh, I, you know, I, I think it's going to be a game by game case with this Xavier front court in terms of their production and in terms of how well they're able to defend an opposing front court. I would still be very concerned about Joel Soriano and Bryce Hopkins and Ryan Kalkbrenner and the like. Yeah, I think Usman, like a double-double in a game like tonight is is probably not uh, – two weeks ago he would have fouled out of that game in in 19 minutes as opposed to, to what he gave Xavier tonight. 
I think that's at least right. a, and, a and small by the way, he was only able to play 24 tonight because he also had four fouls. So that's like <laughs> that's you know, one early foul away from only playing 15 minutes in this game. And that's the other concern you always have about him. Yeah. Um, well, the third thing for you, too, is uh, I think this is, if you look at the, the close games that Xavier has played, so the Washington game, the uh, Houston game, Delaware, and Oakland, I think in in all of those games, the commonality is that they lost the final four-minute war. And tonight, I think they came out plus four, maybe plus five in that final four-minute war. So is that, does that give you confidence going forward that you know they're starting to figure out some things in closing out games? Or is this kind of a, a one-off of a, a something that may not translate? Well, going back to Kenny's point, that's where I think you know, Davion McKnight, you have to give him credit. I think he was really good, and that includes the end-of-game situation. Uh, Desmond Claude was really good handling the ball. That's the biggest thing about that end-of-game situation is that the fact that, you know, Xavier ends up with uh, with only eight turnovers like we talked about, and four of them were from Lazar Djokovic. So their guards really didn't have any issues in terms of taking care of the ball throughout this game. And, and the end-of-the-game situation, part of it was, I mean, like, how bad was UC at the end in terms of clock management there? What letting like 30 seconds go off the clock on the one possession before they then decide to foul at the very end of it all the way near mid court. I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't really understand what UC was doing in some of those end of game moments, but yeah, I thought Xavier did a much better job than they have to this point. And I think the answer there is if you're going to get solid play from Davion McKnight and Desmond Claude and Quincy Oliveri, then you're probably going to be just fine in end of game situations because usually those those moments are going to come down to your perimeter players. That's a good point. Um, that's all I got. Well, the, the last last question is um, hypothetically, if you were a color commentator on a team that had lost by twenty five points to UC, would you feel better or worse about that loss tonight? Um. Well, if in this hypothetical, would the team that I'm talking about also have lost on an insane last second dunk? This is true. Yeah, this is true. Yeah, probably not great then. Probably not great, I would yeah. guess. Yeah. Um, all right, that's all I got. See you, Rick. All right. Thanks, Doug. Appreciate it. All right. I only see one more call here. Can we talk to him? We'll bring him in one last time. Um, if you want to get in here to wrap this show, we'll talk about anything that we've discussed already. Tonight's cross you know, Peter with me on 79. Go ahead and get your request in. We'll do maybe a couple more of these before we wrap it up here. All right, Doc. A little uh, while back, I looked at our, uh, Ken Palm after the game. And a couple of things jumped out at me. One of them was in the top 10 teams on Ken Tom, we play eight games against that group. <laughs> that's, that's pretty amazing. The other thing was we're the fifth ranked Big East team right now. That, that kind of blew my mind too because, you know, we get beat three games in a row at Centos and we're still – fifth team in the big east and i just would that would that surprise you uh, well i mean one one thing that we haven't talked about enough yet because we're we haven't gotten to big east play but we keep talking about the concerns with xavier and what it means long term but we don't mention the fact that aside from the top teams in the big east yukon marquette creighton who's been very good and, and villanova's just had a very strange season to this point the the rest of the teams are kind of in a similar boat to Xavier. Like, they haven't been impressive either. Yeah, they've won more games, uh, but they haven't really beaten anybody for the most part, or they've lost some games that are head-scratchers as well. I don't think Providence, St. John's, Seton Hall, uh, Butler, Georgetown, I don't think those teams are are very good either. So I, Xavier's going to be competitive. The question is, and this goes back to what Doug and I were just talking about with those end-of-game situations probably, is how many of those close games can Xavier pull out? because I don't think they're going to be in a lot of blowouts this year. I don't think they're going to have 10 and 15 point leads where they're able to put it in cruise control. I think we're going to see a lot of those games coming down to the final possessions. And, and quite honestly, that's pretty typical in any year in the big East. You don't have a ton of blowouts in this league in general. 
Yeah, that make, that makes sense. The uh, it, don't we usually kind of use a guide of you got to win ten in the Big East to go to the show? Uh, uh, I mean, it definitely depends on what you do in your non-conference schedule to go along with that. But yeah, I mean, in the Big East, if you are five hundred or above, you're in the conversation for being on the bubble. Yeah. Uh, do you think that holds true since we've lost some games we shouldn't have no. lost in the in the you no. know pre-con? No, this this year I don't think Xavier can go 500 in Big East play and get in, given that they've lost two mid-major games at home already. I think that you know that was you know Xavier's not really playing for seed lines anymore in terms of their their NCAA tournament hopes. They're going to either have to have a major turnaround where they go crazy through Big East play, or they're going to you know really have to to turn it on at the end of the year and play right at the right time. Yeah, well, probably have to win at least one game against the big three, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I would say that's right. And it may be coming down to Xavier has to win the conference tournament at the end of the year by the time uh, you get there. But But I think this is a team that you never know could be in the conversation to do that, depending on how things work out. Okay, well, I just wanted to talk about that Ken Palm a little bit. I'm exhausted. <laughs> All right, Doc, go take a nap. It's been a long time. All right. We've got Brian here, and uh, I don't see any more. So if, if you don't want to, if none of you others want to get in here, then Brian will be our last one. Brian, what are you doing? What's going on, Rick? How are you today? I'm doing well. How are doing you? Doing well. Uh, I was just wondering if you thought there was anything to um, maybe shortening the bench a little bit. With Green not being in as much, it seemed like Swain's minutes were cut a little bit. Uh, and Gitas, if that's something we'd see going forward, or was it just kind of a byproduct of this game? I think in this game, it was definitely a byproduct of the game. Like Trey Green wasn't able to guard Jizzle James, and things were going well with Davion McKnight. So it wasn't a game where you wanted to take Davion McKnight off the floor. So I think that was pretty much the deal there with those two. Um, in terms of the other guys, you know, like Daylon Swain played 12 minutes in this game. I thought he had a good impact when he was on the court, especially defensively. I think that could be his role going forward. I don't know that it needs to be a ton more or a ton less than that. I think in general, you you typically do see any coach, but especially Sean, start to trim down the rotation a little bit as you get closer into, into conference play and, and beyond. Um I, I don't think you're going to see any of these guys completely phased out or anything like that, but you may see, you know, maybe Dalen Swain is only going to see eight to 12 minutes a game now or something like that. Maybe he's not going to have the the longer stretches or, or maybe for Gitas it'll change and they'll play Gitas less at some point. I, I'm not exactly sure how that's going to fall, but it wouldn't be surprising if you start to see seven min, seven guys getting the majority of the minutes going forward. Yeah, and I thought it was important with McKnight putting up points today, somebody other than Olivari and Claude um, scoring, freeing up them a little bit more and then taking some pressure off because it seems like when we don't have that third scorer out there, the offense really starts to struggle and Olivari's taking some more of those uncontrolled kind of side full speed layups to the side of the hoop and uh, that took a lot of pressure off, I felt, for this game. There's no doubt that it did. I mean, Davion McKnight was great in this game. Again, 20 points. He's 5 of 13 from the field. He was 2 of 4 from beyond the arc. 8 for 8 at the free throw line. He had the 4 assists, 1 turnover, and 39 minutes of action. That was Davion McKnight's stat line. Incredible. The problem is, like I've, I've mentioned a few times, is I do think a lot of his aggressive nature and the way he found success on offense in this game had to do with the way Cincinnati guards. They are one-on-one. They force tough twos. They force you to score in the mid-range against them. And, you know, they don't play a lot of help defense. And what we've seen a lot of opposing teams do against Xavier this year is really sag into the gaps, really help off of shooters, and really try to take away the driving lanes for Desmond Claude and Davion McKnight. So I, that that's my question going forward. Is it's like, can you get that type of performance out of the backcourt again? Or was this something that was really specific to Cincinnati and for some reason West just refused to make any sort of adjustments? I'm not exactly sure yet. I agree. Thanks for the call. Have a good night. All right. Thanks, Brian. All right. So I think that's it. 
I don't have any more calls requested in here. I appreciate all you guys who tuned in. This was a, a last-minute thing, but I just thought, I mean, that game was so much fun if you were a Xavier fan to watch. And the the way that it played out, the fact that Xavier scored 84 points, this year's team scored 84 points in the shootout, uh, just kind of incredible all the way around. We had to talk about it. Hopefully, this is worth something to all of you. It probably wasn't the best in terms of conversation or production value, but I thought, if nothing else, the conversation with Kenny Freeze was great. So hopefully you enjoyed that, and we will talk soon. We'll have plenty of coverage up on musketeerreport.com overnight into tomorrow morning. So check that. Thank you.